you know, you can do all the things you always wanted to be. Beautiful, sexy, Jesus, one, two, three. Just let your soul go. Just let it shine through. Just let your This podcast brought to you by Soul Glow, the only product that Jeff Goldblum uses for his hair. Today's episode, The Fly. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum podcast. I'm Ryan from the MoviesDeadWorld.net, and I am joined by my fabulous co-host, Martin. How's it going? And uh, we're back for another episode of In the Jeff Goldblum Month. He's coming, ser- coming to a close. Is it, though? Hey. It may or may not come to a close. I don't know. Can it go on forever? It Well, it wouldn't be called the Jeff Goldblum Month if it went on forever, now would it? It'd just be Jeff Goldblum. It'd be it'd be Jeff Goldblum forever or something like that, <laughs> like Batman forever, except for Jeff Goldblum forever. Just imagine him as the Riddler. I know. Or Two Face. Oh, he'd be a good Two Face. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Better than Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is this is all that we had initially planned for the Jeff Goldblum month. Today's episode is the last one, but we may have something up our sleeve in the coming week or so because something released today I, I don't know why I'm keeping it such a secret I'm like playing coy I don't know why but <laughs> but uh, stop it that's right but uh, but yeah film released today has Jeff Goldblum in it um, you know not one of his bigger roles but something that we could definitely tackle for Jeff Goldblum month so we may end up doing that as well uh, it's going to correspond with the new stuff that's coming out, so I think I think that may be something that we could easily do for the for the next episode, or the episode after that, because I'm not really sure what we've got going on. You know, Suicide Squad is releasing. Do we really got to crap on another DC film? I'm not against the idea of it, yeah. but it, it's almost... Who said we're going to crap on it? No one knows if we're going to crap on it or not yet. We haven't seen it yet. That's like saying that you're going to not like Ghostbusters. Well, to be, to be fair, okay, to be fair... When people like were shooting down Ghostbusters right out of the, the bat, which again we thought wasn't that bad of a film, not bad. Didn't rape our childhood. No, wasn't like Star Wars, the prequel Star Wars. Listen to our previous episode, episode yeah. thirty. Um, but even when I saw those, like the trailers for Suicide Squad, I was like, it's probably not gonna be. I mean, Batman, granted, Batman's supposed to be scary. In it. I mean, granted. Granted, when I didn't see the trailer for Ghostbusters, and after I saw the film and thought it was okay, and then I saw the trailer, I'm like, yeah, the trailer sucked. Yeah. But the, I'm just going off the track record. I mean, at least Paul Feig has, like, a track record. Like, he's made some funny films, you Yeah. Know. Uh, the track record for the recent DC films? Yeah. Not, not so good. No. Not yeah. so good. Yeah. I mean, Batman vs. Superman bored us quite a bit. You know, and, and just and, thinking about that... And it wasn't good. Right. Just thinking about that, do we really want to sit through another two-hour-plus movie where we're going to be, like, looking at our watches or our cell phones going, is this, is this almost over? Well, you know what, like I said, I still find it funny that it's like when you, 
after, like the most apprehension going into like Batman v Superman was like Affleck's gonna be terrible as Batman. Then Matthew left the film like this film was bad. Affleck was good. Yeah, they didn't give him anything to do though. Not that's though. why that's why he's uh for the the Batman film is coming out. He's producing it. Yeah, he's 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 taking the helm to hopefully not have it get fucked upon. But what, did you see the Justice League trailer that just got released? I did not. At uh, I think San Diego Comic Con. Mm. Um, it looks like they're totally going their Avengers route. Mm. Like the scene, like in the trailer of Batman meeting uh, Barry Allen, the Flash, is basically like when Tony Stark met uh, Spider Man. Hmm. And Barry, oh, oh, you mean you mean um, they're going like in Captain America: Civil War, where they? My bad. Yes. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Yes. I wasn't understanding. Yeah, but, no. Yes. Yeah, to- like the, the whole scene of that going on. Like he, the Flash is basically like Spider Man. Like, oh wow. Like. Oh yeah, like oh, how do you know I'm this guy? And then like Batman throws a batarang, and the Flash uses his power to get out of the way. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm such a big fan of you, Bruce Wayne. Like, and your work and all that. And yeah, I would, yeah, I would love to be on the Justice. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's like, wow, they obviously probably saw Civil War. And like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, we need to go this this way. Yeah, yeah. and it's gonna backfire. Yeah, I mean, it, it's gonna be the same same thing, and. Who knows if it's going to work. I mean, if they can pull it off, then it's not a bad idea to mold but, yourself after Civil War. I mean, but even if it does, I mean, you're already shooting. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I see what you're saying, yeah. You're already setting yourself up for failure, because right. if you're basically You're like, following Civil War, and it's yeah. like, well, you know, Civil War already did this, so, you know. Even if they do it well, you're going to have everyone like, oh. Civil War did it. They kind of, yeah, they kind of had a, a, a model to follow. But, I mean... Suicide Squad maybe our maybe our next one. I don't know if we'll get out to see it this week actually, because I know I'm I'm gonna be away this weekend, so I, I won't be oh, around, Mr. Busy. You know to to go and see it. But um, you know we're we're hoping to cover that at at some point, um, whether it be next week or or not. We, we will get to it on the podcast. Uh, but we may we may have another Jeff Goldblum film in store for you next week. Um, tonight though. We're talking about uh, one of one of my favorite Jeff Goldblum films, um, one of David Cronenberg's best films, I would say. Um, I'm very partial to Videodrome, um, but this one is also a very solid film in his canon. Uh, and of course, we're talking about The Fly, the 1986 um, r- remake slash reimagining of a of a classic horror picture um and really it has very little that actually it takes from the the original film i mean a lot of this is is has been um added to and really it's david cronenberg putting his own spin on on the science and the horror behind the fly the that original idea um i mean it's David Cronenberg, we know, you know, he, he takes a lot of films and makes them into body horror. He makes them into, you know, the what a body can deteriorate into. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a lot of what The Fly has in store for its viewers. It also has a lot of, surprisingly, a lot of comedy to it as well. It's a very dry, like but... dry but comedic film. Um, and it kind of pairs both of those ideas together. Like, I wouldn't say this is a horror comedy by any means. Uh, not in the way that you would consider, like, Shaun of the Dead a horror comedy. I, I, I would say 
You could almost say more so than it being a horror film. Like you tack it up to more of a thriller. Yeah, because it's, the, yeah, it's, the, the it's whole, like a thriller romance almost. Because the, the love story. Because the horror doesn't really get you. Don't really get that horror aspect until the last fifteen minutes. Yeah. of the film. Yeah. Um, for the most part, it's very. It's. I would say for a horror film, it's well paced. It, oh yeah. Um, very well paced, actually. And we'll talk about it when you go about the f- film. But I would, I would, I know, I know. Technically, it is a horror film. But I'd say more of just the way it's paced and the way it reveals things to you. It's, it's more of a thrill, like a, like, a, yeah, a psychological thriller. Psychological thriller. Um, it definitely gets into science fiction quite a bit. Yep. Um, it, like I said before, it's a love story as well. Yep. Um, you know, very much, and a lot of it actually is about that romance between uh, Jeff Goldblum's character Seth Brundle and um, Veronica, the the journalist that he he uh, woos at the beginning of the film and kind of sucks into this new technological advancement that he's been working on. Um, so a lot of it is actually a love story, um, which is pretty interesting when you think about the final the final scenes of the film, the finale where. You know, now this is no longer really a person, but a a, a common a recombination of genetic DNA. Um, it's, it's very interesting. You can see a lot of similarities to some of other uh, some of the other Cronenberg films. A lot of um, thematic things that are very um, similar to you know like Videodrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the uh, references to the Flash and and how to understand you know the flesh of humanity and what actually makes Humanity. I would like, say what, what what constitutes I, humanity. I would say too for uh, Cronenberg too is also known as a very like kind of a cold director like yes. way, like like the way like Kubrick is mm-hmm. where everything is just the shots are well done but everything has like a very cold and icy feeling to it. Mm-hmm. I would say probably out of all the Cronenberg films I've seen I'd say this is probably his least cold. Yeah, film. Exactly. it's very it's, it's very mean, it's very it's not like icy at all. It's not you don't get this. I wouldn't say that it's not. Well, I see no, it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think the fact that you have like the romance that happens in this film, yep. is what off totally offsets it and makes it not come across as a totally calculating and cold yeah. film. I would agree, I, and I think that when we're ta- when you talk about the cold too, um, the comedy aspect of it, which doesn't it doesn't always come out in the Cronenberg films, even though he is often dry and comedic and, and sort of like find this funny or else it's kind of disturbing kind of way. Mm. I mean, this one has the most, I would say, direct humor about it. Uh, it's certainly intentional that Jeff Goldblum's character is a very quirky individual. Well, I think, and I think that's what m- makes it work. Is yeah, exactly. Somebody like Jeff Goldblum yeah. playing you have You have that kind of... Uh, you're not totally... In, like in, enveloped by the darkness of this film, you mm. you you do have those those moments where Cronenberg uh, makes light of things, um, and I think that tone really works for The Fly. Like you said, it's it's probably the least like cold of of the Cronenberg films, um, I, and I would agree. I mean, just thinking back again, like I said with Videodrome, you know, one of my favorites by him. Um, that's a very cold film altogether. I mean, that one is very much like distant from the viewer. I mean, the, the, and if you're not following along, actually it's, it's going to leave you behind that film itself will leave you behind 
you're not like really paying, paying attention to it, really, really following along. Like, like, like a because Coop, like a, I say, like a Kubrick film. Like if you're watching yeah. like 2001 and you're not paying attention, because mm-hmm. that one is again a lot about uh, lucidity. Like there, you know, there's a lot of kind of dreamlike states to it, and so if you're not following along with that, you're going to get lost in those those dream sequences, the, those things that seem out of you know reality. So I, I but I think. You know, this film, The Fly, is a lot... I would say it's probably... Besides Scanners, I guess, maybe one of Cronenberg's most accessible films mm-hmm. and his canon for, for horror, horror pictures. It's probably one of the most accessible. I mean, I think Scanners is too. Uh, I would say, you know, Videodrome, not so much. Uh, some of his other uh, pictures as well, you know, are a little bit more difficult, a little bit more thought-provoking and mm-hmm. the fly is as well but just in a different manner you know it's not not a, it's it's not as difficult or complex as some of his other films so um but we'll get to the fly in a second but let's take a break to uh to talk about what we're drinking tonight because we're, we are drinking something different we never covered it per se on the podcast um though we've both had it before yes yeah. So uh, a bunch of times. Yeah, I mean, why don't you take it away? You can tell them what you what you picked out today. Um, today I brought uh, Brewery Amagang's uh, Wit or Witta, if you want to be very <laughs> fancy and improper in the pronunciation, uh, which is one of their wheat ales. Uh, if you don't know, Brewery Amagang is uh, based in Cooperstown, New York, um, and they specialize in Belgian style beers. Mm-hmm. Which they're also owned by uh, Duval, yep. based in Belgium. Um, so and like yeah, they make mainly just Belgian style beers, mainly like sizes and um, they're one of their one of their best that we both like that we can't ever find anymore around here is their Belgian pale ale. Right, the Belgian pale ale is really good. Yeah, um, which I don't even think they make anymore. Actually, to be honest with you. Um, I think that might have... I, I think they might have... I mean, got, the last time we were at Amagang, they did not have it, I don't think. No, they didn't. That I can had, think of. They had new stuff, really. Yeah. But, all the... I have never... There's only one Amagang beer that I've had. I've had a bunch of their stuff, mm-hmm. and I, I I do like it a lot. Um, there's only one Amagang beer I've ever had that I really haven't cared for that much, and that was the Three Philosophers. Yeah. Because the Quad's a pretty hard beer to drink. It is. It's with. difficult. Yeah. So, but... Their Hennepin, which is a uh, farmhouse mm, size and ale. That's very good. Very drinkable. Same thing with this. This one uh, um, is a little bit lighter. The, the, yeah, wit, the wit is very drinkable, I would say. It's, it's uh, basically kind of like their Hennepin, but more uh, sessionable. Yeah. Um, and then you got the Rare Voss, which is my favorite. You love the Rare Voss. The Rare yeah. Voss is great, and that's like an amber. Uh, yeah. Weed ale and I I would say that for anybody that's looking into Amagang, um, you really have to like those Bel- Belgian malts because they they certainly come through in all of Amagang's beers. So like if you if you're not a huge fan of that Belgian style of malt, you're not gonna you're not gonna like these at all. I mean, you can tell outside of like the Nirvana IPA, which is like just yeah, the, basically which we reviewed IPA. on our, on our first yeah, we episode. Did, yeah, our first episode. Yeah, you definitely won't. 
you because you can taste the those Belgian malts. You you definitely when, if you're there. By the way, like at Amagang, you can smell it from like a mile away. It's great. You, you can totally smell which all and we, we and we have said before. Um, Brewery Amagang, which is all another great thing about. I never actually done like a beer tour mm-hmm. like you have. But I've gone there several times for concerts. We went there and we saw Primus and Dinosaur Jr. last yep. year in the Decemberist. We've been there also to see uh, Modest Mouse and Wilco. Yep. And I've been there too. You weren't there to see Neutral Milk Hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, hipster badge right here, for God's sakes. But, uh, yeah, they and they, it's great when you go there because their beer, because it's, you know, a very good craft brew and they've won, won a lot of awards. Mm-hmm. For a bunch of other different beers, it's great when you go there because you just pay like five bucks and just, you know get a pint of beer, and it's like oh yeah, awesome. Yep. Whereas if you want like a six pack, it's like yeah, eleven ninety nine. This one actually was on sale. There's only eight forty nine, mm. so that's that's why I got it. So yeah, I mean if you go there and you go to a show, their beer prices are um, you know really reasonable for the show. And the place is really good to see yeah, the show, it's too. Yeah, good, good place to see the show. You can get some Gooches. That's a, oh, delicious. That's a, a delicious burrito stand that they normally have there. Stuffed with, like, pulled pork and mac and cheese. Yep. Good lord. They um, they normally have, like, certain events there. One time I got asked to uh, register to vote. At the Wilco show, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah should have. Um, it's your fault you made eye contact with it. <laughs> No, I mean, I I made eye contact, and then when she came and asked if we were registered to vote, and I said, you weren't. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Well, the um, the porta-potties, they got just lines of porta-potties, and uh, they do have the fancy, like, push, bu- uh, like, foot pump, fu- foot pump water uh, that you can, you know, wash, wash your, your hands hand. with. So I will until say it runs out. I, w- I will say the um, line of porta potty is greatly appreciated because there's been a lot of shows I've been to, especially like a SPAC. Oh yeah, be- before like they, I mean, you've only been there like once. Once and that was those porta potties were fine. Yeah, but I mean before they had that like a SPAC that line of porta potties, yeah. they never used to. It's just like the bathroom areas, and you'd be waiting fucking forever to go to the bathroom. That was like the one nice thing about if you got inside seats, which I often did when I went to SPAC, if you, the line wouldn't be as bad, nowhere near as bad, but if you were like out in the lawn, it's like, yeah. And if I recall correctly, at SPAC, they, they did used to have the uh, the big troughs. Yeah. So that's it, never nice pleasant pissing, yeah. either. Nice pissing troughs. Pissing trough, just all but, pee together in one, one nice place. But yeah, but it's glad, I'm glad they finally added... Uh, like a hundred line porta yeah, potty, a lot of porta potty, because, yeah. because this is, that's a, a brilliant, a great thing. So you don't have to. So as we say, if you find like a virginal one that hasn't been oh, yeah. t- been touched by anything, it's like oh, this is, yeah, it's like uh, like light shining down in the like sky. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. All right, let's get to the fly, man. We got some, we got a lot of stuff to talk about here. So uh, let's break down the plot of the fly. Start out with that, because normally we kind of jump into it just thinking, <sighs> thinking that people know the plot of, of these films, and perhaps they don't. Maybe you're one of those kids from the the uh, millennium, and you don't really <laughs> know like what Vacation was or any of the 80s comedies like you saw that video for the other day. That's awful. I don't know how yeah. you can, I don't know how you cannot know some of these films that have just like been 
passed down from generation to generation. Like I said, you know, you said they didn't know Vacation, National Lampoon's Vacation. It's like Vacation gets played on multiple TV channels like every summer. Does it? Yeah. I've never seen it. Comedy Central will have Vacation on uh, at least they, a couple times. They probably I haven't want, played that in years. I want to say AMC has it. I don't think they've played in years, to be honest with you. I, I... Because I... Comedy Central, all they play now is just fucking reruns of Tosh.0. Because... I don't know. I, the hilarity I ensues def- from that. I've definitely seen, like, some of those movies. Well, maybe movies. when you were kids, like, when, you were, when we were younger, yeah, I know, I totally agree. Like, Comedy Central, not at least the original, they used to play European all the time. But, um... I don't think they do today, so I think it's part of the problem, but... What he's talking about, I was watching the React video, and it was kids reacting to 80s sitcoms. Like, if they could, like, guess from the poster what sitcom it was, and they, like, had, like, Vacation, 9 to 5, um, Caddyshack. And the only one they could recognize The only one they, it was Ghostbusters, because it had the big fucking logo on it, and, and, and but they're like... Like to me, like, like see, like I didn't even see Vacation when it came out in 1984. Wasn't born yet. Wasn't even a thought and a look in my father's eye yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just like I know the the poster's iconic. The, yeah. Chevy Chase, you know. I mean, like Army of Darkness parodies it, and same thing with like, kind of like the whole Star original Star Wars poster with you know Luke and you know Leia around his leg. It's like mm-hmm. the whole thing's iconic, and like then you got the parody too, also from. Uh, the Aqua Teen movie with, like, Carl. Mm-hmm. And it's like... I, I don't know how they don't know it. I don't understand that. That doesn't even make sense to me. It really doesn't. I don't know how you can't know it. And they're just like, oh, oh, like, oh, that... Oh, Did they just come out with, like, a new one? Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah, oh, wow. And they're like... And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. Coming to America was one of them, too, and they, like... And, like, one of the girls like, I, I know, I love Eddie Murphy, but I don't know what this is. It's, it's like, and then they say, like, oh, that's from the 80s? That's, that's old. That's really old. Even though she's, like, 17 years old, and it's like, that's really old. That's, just like, makes me, like. Really old. <laughs> makes me feel, like, get, like, kind of, like, like old age anger. Like, you damn kids, like, yeah. if you don't know, our intro is from Coming to America. One of them funny and most memorable bits from the film. And you haven't seen Coming to America. Nope. The hell's wrong with you? I haven't it's like seen Eddie it, Murphy's funniest film. It's better than Pluto Nash. Hmm. Better than Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> better than Dr. Doolittle? Are you kidding me? Is it better than Daddy Daycare? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, wait, oh, God, no. Okay, no, it's not better. <laughs> it's not better than that, no. All right. So, The Fly uh, was a 1986 film. Um, stars Jeff Goldblum, obviously, or else we wouldn't be covering it for Jeff Goldblum month. And uh, he plays Seth Brundle, who's a, a scientist who's been secretly working on this teleportation device in his, um, like, basically warehouse apartment. It's like a really grimy warehouse. Stereotypical yeah. New York. Yeah, like uh, hidden away in uh, some yeah, shitty in. building with a with a draw door yeah. across it that's just like a big piece of metal that you like, like pull it across. 
Yeah, I love those. I've yeah. never experienced one of those. I mean, I see them in movies and television all the Big time, da- but I never I experienced that. Do you think that. when Adam Sandler made Big Daddy, they rented the same place out for Adam Sandler's apartment? It does kind of look like it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah I mean, it does a little bit. I, I seem to remember in Big Daddy, though, like, he had windows or something, though, didn't yeah, he? No, they just probably put those in. Yeah. Yeah, but it does I, look I like a see, similar I, place. I can see off by the pod in this film, like John Stewart standing there, and being like, oh, yeah, you guys ruined the surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I've never experienced one of those apartment buildings before. I want to. I've seen <laughs> them all the time. I want to know, like, what is that like to just shut yourself in with a big giant door, big slab of metal across the door? Why not just add one of those, like, you know, like, stereotypical, like, bank safe locks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of those ones that is basically like a, like Crank. a ship's, <laughs> a ship's, uh, <laughs> steering wheel. Yeah. But so, so he lives in that apartment. He goes out to this big science party and he meets a woman who writes for Particle Magazine, um, and her name is Veronica. She's played by Gina Davis, and she uh, immediately becomes kind of intrigued by this weird man. I will say, um, this one, right off the bat, the Goldblum quirk is in full effect. If you're not wooed by Jeff Goldblum in the first couple of minutes, then there's no hope for you in the fly. So you better just turn it off. It's it's he's totally f- full. Bl- the Goldblumian I mean, factor is at Spinal Tap eleven. Yeah, that's. I feel like like David Cronenberg was banking on that. He's like, oh, he's gonna suck the viewer in, like watching this guy who's just so animated, so into his his like scientific research that he's just like going off on this tangent to this to Gina Davis. But I will also say too, which one, that is a great thing and I love it. I will say if this film was made today, um this film wouldn't be 96 minutes. It'd be 2 hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> I was thinking because, that too. Because you know what? This film, the first 15 minutes, there's no bullshit. Mm. Jeff meets mm-hmm. Gina at a, at a bank, a science banquet. They don't give you like any real backstory. Nope. He's just there, kind of pitches this idea. Then she goes to his apartment with them. He cracks a few jokes about how he's going to kill her now because she saw his, his secret research. His secret research. And then they, literally the first like, 10, 15 minutes, they get that out of the way. Yeah, it's like that boom, boom, boom. would have taken 45 minutes to an hour if that I, was made today. I they would have They would have gone so far into like, Jeff's backstory and then Gina's backstory and... Like and like, ex- make like the whole talking at the party. Oh. This whole big like thing. This film is cut and dry. It gets to, like he's at a party. They talk. It's you know quirky. He's at, then they get right to their apartment. Quirky shows you know shows what his invention is his scientific discovery, and that's like the first fifteen minutes. That would have taken over an hour in a mod if this was remade today. Yeah, I agree because like it has the same setup as like. Another film that you would expect to be two and a half hours, like one of the superhero movies or or a science fiction film, you know, it has all of that setup. Like we have to explain the science behind this. We have to explain these two people that are getting into it. But but the fly doesn't really David Cronenberg doesn't really give a shit if you're following along with like their backstory. He doesn't care about that at that point. All he wants to do is get that initial setup out of the way. Here's what's happening. Here's what this guy's working on. Here's the science behind it. And that's it. You get that first 15 minutes if you're... And 
if you're not hooked by Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis and their, their, their kind of chemistry yeah. together, then probably there's you know there's no hope for you to, to continue watching the film because not you're not going to get drawn in any further than that. And I, and I think it's the fact that the chemistry between Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum works so well. I think is they share their hair. They share hair chemistry. Well, she's got the curls and he's got the waviness. Of, yeah, they're both letting their soul glow. That's right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, this, yes, now would have been like, oh, uh, first, when you first start out, Jeff Goldblum has got to get ready for this party. He's like, there, and yeah. here's some weird stuff that he's working on, but you don't know what it's about yet. Then here's uh, Gina Davis, and she's getting ready for this party, and she's, and talking, she's talking to her, her journalist yeah. friends and stuff. And then, oh, then 30 minutes later, they meet at the party, and then they start talking, and he's like, I've got something to show you. Then they go back, and... And then finally, you're about 45 minutes in and just learning about the teleportation. Huh. I, I agree. I think that I definitely think that this would be a two and a half hour movie. And I think we're so ingrained in think, feeling like that's the way it is that I honestly thought that The Fly was going to be like two, two and a half hours long. I was thinking like, oh, you know, I mean, seems like we're, you know, only a third of the way through this once you get really get into it. But no, luckily it is only an hour and a half and it, that's all it needed. That's it. You don't need it any more the, than that. The film paces itself very well. Oh, exa- yeah, and, definitely. Uh, um, and I, I, I would love to see. I'm not. I'm not shitting on the long film. I am a fan of no. of you know. Films. I do like long film. You know, but if you think about you know, like, 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 like we, we both love for, per se like the good and the bad and the ugly. But when you like boil it down, there's a lot of like. Mm-hmm. Bullshit, like stare downs and long. Granted, you can understand from like a director and cinematographer point, like the point Sergio Leone is supposed to get across and the tension building and all that. But still, like if you were like like a modern day editor or producer, you'd be like, yeah, cut that shit. Out. Like you know, yeah. yeah, I don't need it. You can shave thirty minutes off this film by getting rid of Eli Wallach and Clint staring. Just yeah. But I think. What this film does better than, like, I think a lot of modern films today, they, because the norm now is that you're expected when you're going into a film, it is going to be two hours. Very, I haven't seen a film that I can remember in the past ten years that's been under two hours. And I can't, like... You mean, well, like, I, normal comedies and stuff, you're gonna, you're gonna hit your 90 minute mark most of the time. I, they're getting pretty up there. Yeah, they are. I mean, it depends. Like, I know, like, depends. like even Clerks, you, yeah, like, even Clerks 2, I think it's like an hour and 45 when yeah. we saw it. I don't count Jackass 2 when we saw that, because, I mean... Well, was, I mean, Vacation, the new Vacation was only an hour and a half. Oh, was it? I, I believe so. Oh. Like, but, felt. yeah, it really depends. I mean, it depends on, like, your innate comedies are gonna be 90 minutes. A lot of your horror movies are, are gonna be 90 minutes, because they're quick, they're, they're in and out. Well, the Conjuring was two. Uh, two was two. Yeah, hours. Conjuring is yeah. But but my my point, my overall point is like the norm has been like they gotta be films that they're gearing them up for like two hours because they're like oh we gotta fill in all this like backstory and intrigue and I th- I think it's more of a testament to you shouldn't really worry about the runtime. You should worry more about the setup, the premise, and the world building. If you can do that in like eighty minutes. Then that's good. If but if you need like two and a half hours, fine. But you better hold the audience. Yeah. Especially today, because people don't have attention spans for today. I agree. And uh, and I and I think. And I, and I like I said that I think that's part of the problem with like a lot of today's films is you get these runtime like Batman versus Superman two and a half hours and nothing fucking happens. Mm-hmm. And I and I think. 
if you know if like when we, when we talked about that in our review of the film, if you had like Zach, if like okay Zach, cut the bullshit. You don't need all this crap in there. Just you need to dream. Yeah, you just get to you know down to what this film should be about. Batman versus Superman. You would have had a tighter, much better film. Mm. And then, at, but but the film sucked. And then at the end of the day, you're like, oh, in the extended version with like an extra thirty minutes tacked on, it's even better. It's like, yeah, uh, no, you you failed. You failed. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, getting back to our main point, we we actually started with just you know discussing the the plot of it. But yes, I think that the that opening sequence is really a, is a shining example of what the fly does. Correctly, I mean, you definitely immediately get that chemistry between Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum's characters. Um, you you already know, and and I would say that it's kind of veiled because you know we know from the title that this film is about a fly, but for coming into it, you've never seen it before, and you get that first fifteen minutes. It's all about teleportation. Mm. That's kind of unexpected for you to come into it and be like, oh, I thought we were talking about like some crazy fly transformation, not some teleportation. You know, how are, how are those related? Where How are we getting the fly out of this? So it's kind of interesting how David Cronenberg takes that initial idea and then, you know, kind of builds on it until it becomes, oh, okay, now I see where the fly comes in. You know, we're, we're building those layers of... And not only that, going back to like the whole runtime thing too a little bit, the film's runtime is short. Mm-hmm. The build, though, very, is like the is, entire length of the film. Is really. the entire length yeah. of the film? It's very slow. It's slow. Like the the film in the opening, like like I said, the first fifteen minutes sets sets you up for the premise. Gets right down to it. But then the building of Seth and Veronica and their relationship and what's happening and the story. And what happens is all very, it's slow, it's methodical, it's well thought out, it's plotting, but at the same time, it's in, it's interesting along the way. they hit The film hits the right beats along the story to make that, you, like, it doesn't reveal itself fully at all. It's, it, I, like... I think they're, they're they don't they don't give away a lot. Like Cronenberg no. doesn't give a lot away to you. He's slowly re- like revealing things yeah. to you. And like I said, like uh, like why I would consider this film more of a thriller than a horror film? It's not like uh, like shock and awe and all this. It's very very slow to build up to that tension and that horror. Mm-hmm. And that like, that to me leaves it more like the kind of like a thriller aspect. Cause, yeah, I mean I think that it does a really good job of um you know it it has that setup for it and you're not really know knowing where to where to what to expect from where it's going to go you don't know like you know you know it's about teleportation you know somewhere in here there's a fly but uh for the first you know 30 minutes 45 minutes we're still talking about teleportation. He's still trying to perfect this idea of, mm. of what teleportation is, how to transport a person from point A to point B um, without, you know, re- totally messing up their genetics. Like, with the the first time he transports, tries to transport a monkey. You know, he, 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 gets, the, the computer out, yeah. turns him inside out because it doesn't understand the, the idea of animate objects, of, of how to reconstitute flesh it's trying to interpret that and do it the best it can but it's it's not actually taking one form and and transporting it to another 
you know, a thing without, you know, making up a, a synthetic version of it. So, you know, at that point, there's still no fly. There's still, you know, it's, it's like, it's the opposite of Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis, yeah. where you immediately, that one, you immediately start with the line, Gregor Samsa woke up and he was a fly. That, that's, that's it, really. I mean, you, you, when you hit that story, you're already in the the shoes of the, the shoes of the the narrator or the character that's uh, basically going to be our main character, and he's already a fly. I mean that that's already done. In in um, the fly, you you were really building to that. That's the pivotal moment. That's the that's the big build. The conclu- the finale that you're building to is when he's actually becoming like the full fly. And I think and too. Because you get that long build to that happening, you get to build upon Seth's character. Mm-hmm. You get to build on Veronica's character, then their relationship, and then the fa- and how he becomes the fly makes it that more tragic. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is a very like Shakespearean tragic story. That- and it, yeah, it's a Shakespearean tragedy, and it's also. Um, it's like a, a comedy of human errors, you know, of of overstepping your own understanding of science. Um, you know, this is this is like a mad scientist tale of humanity trying to figure out something that really they're not supposed to. But not, but not, but not only that, the error he makes is something like that. I think everyone's. Like every adult's at least on their life, like there's a misunderstanding. Yeah. You do something foolish, like get drunk, and then like I'm gonna, you know, in your drunken state and your emotional restlessness, you do something, and then you come like once you do, it and you come to find out you misunderstood the situation all along, but it's too late for you to take it back, and now you have to live the consequences of yeah. And I mean, and, it's, and, it's a very it's a very human. In the flies case, it's that. You know, Seth Brundle, he, become, he becomes, as he continues to experience success with his teleportation machine, and he begins to get closer to Veronica, um, he begins to get a little bit more cocky, a little bit more uh, full of himself, to the point where, in a fit of, you know, a drunken jealousy after he feels like he's been slighted by Veronica, who he thinks has gone back to her you know, her ex-boyfriend who she also works for. Um, he drunkenly gets into the machine thinking he couldn't teleport himself and instead accidentally m- melds his genetic DNA with that of a fly who's also in the teleportation pod at the same time with him not knowing that mm. it was there. Um, so you're right, that's a very human error. It's it's a very, it's like hubris. It's like mm. when we talk about Shakespeare and tragedies, it's the the... Uh, character's hubris that really is his downfall. You know, if he had not tried to push that science to its ultimate extreme, if he had waited until their agreement, you know, between him and Veronica that they were going to wait and she was going to film it and they would have it all on tape so she could write about it in a book, then this probably wouldn't have happened because they would have been okay with checking all for the experimentation, Mm -hmm. checking to make sure everything is just, you know, peachy keen and and that nothing's nothing bad is going to go wrong in this this uh, experiment, but instead, you know, he kind of pushes it and ends up melding himself with a fly. 
And I think that's a really, you know, the film talks about flesh quite a bit, and Videodrome does as well. And really, the uh, the how that can't be recreated in a way that like this teleportation machine attempts to. It's very difficult to recreate flesh, to recreate human organisms. It's not something that you can just easily do without consequences. And I think that this is about, like the film, the entire film is about overstepping science, about overstepping the boundaries of what humanity should be able to do. I, I think, to me, like when I see the whole transporting, uh, trans, uh, teleporting, being a Star Trek fan, it reminds me of, you know, how prevalent transporters are mm-hmm. there. And it's like, oh, it's like, like a transporting, like, nightmare. Like, <laughs> and, then, and then you also have, like, I've, I've seen debates online, too, of, like, and like sci- like science people talking about it too, like actual scientists, like like oh like how does Star Trek's teleporter really work? And they're like, you're killing yourself. It's basically a suicide booth mm-hmm. because you're getting every atom in your body is getting demolished, disintegrated, and then, disintegrated, yeah. and then reassembled. Off. So, so who's to say that you're the you of your past? You you're a new you. It's but it's basically a suicide booth. So I think that, that's, that's exactly that's, that's that's you know something like. Like if it's it's a philosophical question, right? Are you the same you when you mm-hmm. no longer have that same structure? In the fly, it's basically the same thing. The science behind it is basically it's the same. You are breaking the entire DNA genetics, the all of the yeah. atoms down of a person, and then trans and teleporting them to another place, and and then rebuilding that. But is that is that person who ends up on the other side the same? Did everything come back exactly the same? Can a computer understand the you know not just the genetic makeup, the atomic makeup, but everything else that makes a human human? Mm. Does it does it understand that? And I think that in Cronenberg's case, when he's when he's discussing some of the the uh, science behind it as the film builds, as we talked about, you know, it's got to build up to that teleportation sequence. It's got to build up to where Jeff Goldblum's character begins to tra- uh, transform, transform into into a fly being, I, I, I think when in making this film he does not agree that you can scientifically, you know, have a computer reconstitute a person. It just doesn't, as they say in the film, computers are dumb. You have to tell them what to do, and if you can't explain, this is what makes Martin Martin. You know, I need to put but, yeah. in the essence of Martin, then it's not going to come out the same on the other side. And I think that's exactly how the fly imagines that, you know, by, you know, within its its discussion of that philosophy behind the flesh or, or in the flesh here being, you know, a metaphor for humans, really. Uh, and, and I really like that. And I think that a lot of David Cronenberg's films that deal with flesh, it's the same sort of idea. It's the same thing, Can you know. What makes a human human? What, you know, how can you combine that? What, what, you know, what what do you do to a human that makes them not human anymore? And I think that um, with the fly that comes out quite a bit because of its its science, but at the same time, you know, you have uh, Videodrome, which is about where they're kind of they're you know the the media portrayal of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know how you're watching the media, so. Um, I, I find this this very interesting, and I, I find Cronenberg's body horror really interesting as well, which is uh, for, all done by physical effects. 
great practical effects in the song. Yeah, great. And and I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, you kind of look no, at... No, I, I, I agree. You look at, like, the fly within this film towards the end of the film, and, uh, you know, yes, obviously, it doesn't look in totally real. I mean, you can tell that it's kind of a puppet. You can tell that it's, you know, it's puppeteered, and, and that it's, you know, there are some physical flaws with it, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have them... You know, put in CGI effects for no, that. No, I, I, again, this goes back to the whole, the eye being able to know, as we said before, as I said before in the podcast about like how the eye is able to pick up on CGI like instantly, like you can tell that's not real. With this, yes, you can tell like there's some flaws to the effect, but the fact, the fact that they're physical, that they're real, they're tangent. You can un, your, you, your mind can perceive and understand that to be something real. Even though it may not look like the best, you can overlook those flaws. Right. And I don't, I don't find a lot of flaws in the practical effects to begin with. I think they're right. very well done. I think they're well done as well. They're especially for that time period, like yeah. top notch. They're, they're great, and I think, and I think, if it was CGI, like, it's like, oh, you like think of all the things you could do, and and it, you would see it, and then you could tell well, that's not real. Uh, yeah. Right. So I, and I, so I, am always, as I, as I said before, I love practical effects. I think they capture something, whether you can like do it as realistic as possible or not. They capture an essence in a feeling that you're never going to get from CGI. And I, th- and I, and I think I. That's why I would love to see more films go back to practical effects i think they they capture a certain tone and feeling of scenes that cgi really can't ever capture yeah i love the careful and um calculated and very like slow moving way that the fly has its transformation sequences the way that you kind of in the beginning you only see like this little these little pieces of hair poking out of you know brundle's back those are, you know, they, they're, they're gross. They're, yeah. They make people squeamish because it's just that little bit of strangeness to it that that it's it's and not, not pronounced. Yeah, but and as I say, like I I did find it funny how she's like, oh, you got hair going on your back, and it's like they're pretty thick hairs, mm. pretty long hairs, and it looks like there's scar tissue too. Like you notice too, like where the hairs grow, yeah. you can see like scars on his back, like yeah. right there. So it's like. Ah, and then like you know, like the next scene, all of a sudden you see uh, Jeff Goldblum's face, and it's like got acne on it. Yeah, like it's, it's all broken out. Yeah, yeah, it's broken out. And then like the next scene, like you see, like he looks even like his face looks even more haggard, and his hair is not as well kept, and he's just like all. So then it's the way it builds. Yeah. On his transformation, the fact that it's so slow and. Yeah, well paced is great. I think again, kind of going back and look at the stunts today, they would totally blow their load like right off the bat and yeah. like he's a fly now. He's got wings and he's flying all over the place. I do love that build. I love the the minimalism at the beginning and the way that you know, um, there's just like that that first scene of just that you can tell that there's something not right about him. There's something that has come out differently on the other side of that teleportation pod, but you're not really sure 
what yet, especially if you haven't seen the film. I mean, you know you've seen the fly in there, and the, you can kind of assume what's going to happen, but but I, I like how interesting all of the makeup is for it, because it you don't, it doesn't progress in the way you think it would. You When you think about how you would imagine someone turning into a fly, I, I would think that I would start to see, yes, those bristly hairs poking out, wings, and then wings yeah. popping eyes, out, yeah, and then yeah. eyes changing, and then, yeah, then he's a fly. But here, it's a very slow progression where things don't always make sense. Sometimes he gets stronger, only to get weaker. He, um... You know, he begins to, like, lose the skin skin and teeth and nails. And it's not, it's a slow progression, like you said, but it's one that really emphasizes those grotesque changes to his body. It's that body horror that really, you know, Cronenberg does so well. I mean, it's it's really great. It's, um, a lot of it is kind of reminiscent of, you know, what John Carpenter does with The Thing. Um, some some of this which, similar which another, body horror. Yes, the first one we're going to cover. As, as I say, as well. which is also another uh, '80s reimagining. That's like these two films. I say would like be poster childs for like if you're going to do a remake, this is how you do a remake. This is how well, you... they already did a remake of the thing. No, I know, but it's I'm... not good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm just saying. Like, I think like these are two right. films. Like again, like, they're practical effects. They're um, you know, you're not relying on just in, intense, like, in-your-face scares or anything like that. The, the thing is really about paranoia, mm-hmm. a, a lot about paranoia and how, you know, there are things hidden around you that you just don't know about, but like like they live, same, same yep. kind of premise, even though it's in, entirely different. Um, and The Fly is, is, like I said, about, you know, overstepping your boundaries, about um, you know, hubris and it's in, 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 in a way it's, it's about, you know, some, some of the same themes as well. There's some paranoia there. Um, there's the, the paranoia of first contagion and then, um, pregnancy, uh, when Veronica finds out that she's pregnant with Rondell's child and she's having the, uh, icon, the, the infamous dream sequence where she uh, has her baby and it's actually like a larva that comes out of her, like a, like a maggot that comes out. Um, you know, that's the first thing I thought of when she said I'm pregnant is that, Oh, you know, you're pregnant with a fly baby, you know, not just a, not just a regular baby, but a fly baby. So that's the, I, I would have been concerned. I would have been like, get this out of me ASAP. Well, uh, but, but, she, but obviously, you know, I, that's the other interesting thing that you, at first you might think like, wow, that's ridiculous. But there's that whole romance between um, Brundle and Veronica where Veronica is really hesitant to give up on Brundle. Even though he's changing and becoming more violent and a lot different than he than he was, there's still that, that idea that this is the person that I fell in love with and, and how much of him has changed. There's still some of that Brundle within the Brundle fly, but then again, there's also that fly DNA that's changing him, his mental status, you know, mm-hmm. quite a bit. And I think that's a really interesting part of the fly where that's where that context at the beginning of the film, that chemistry really comes into play. You need that in order to understand Veronica's choices later in the film. Where she's not, she's really hesitant to 
you know, kill the Brondo fly. She's hesitant mm-hmm. to abort her baby. She doesn't want to get rid of that part of the Brundle because she's not just, you know, it's not just like, you know, they've broken up or something. She's actually lost that part of Brundle that she she loved. So that's yeah, she, she wants she, to she hold on to at least a she piece has, of she that. Has, like, um, when he turn, turns his back on her for seeing, thinking that she's jealous of what he's achieved... She's not like, well, fuck you too, you know. She's still trying to, still basically trying to save him. Still trying to right. understand what's going on while he's, you know, gallivanting yeah. and doing whatever there's, the hell he wants. Yeah, I mean, there's still that piece of him that she wants to save, even though it's genetically linked to a fly. And I think that's a really interesting scenario within this film as well. And it's nice to see because, like, like you said in the beginning. Uh, Goldblum's character, uh, Seth Brundle, he's, yes, he is incredibly quirky, but he's, uh, he's shy, he's reserved, he's, he doesn't really know how to act around women, he doesn't know how to, like, really he doesn't like, have a life outside of his studies, he's spent his entire life just basically being a scientist, researching, working, so he doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to interact with people and how to... Just, just being like, un, like relaxed and normal. He's very tense. Very. He only has five outfits. Yeah, and they're all the same because he doesn't want to have to think about it. Um, he's certainly the opposite, the foil of um, Veronica's other ex-boyfriend, Stathis Borens, who is the editor of uh, the uh, Particle. Particle magazine that she works for, played by John Getz. And uh, I, I playing the douchiest. Honestly, I, w- I want to be Stathis. Oh, you want to have your hand and leg melted off? <laughs> no, not that part of it. I want to have a, an entire office at a magazine where I can just sit and look out a penthouse window. Do you, do you, with do you, uh, do you think while watching um, when this film came out, Oliver Stone sat there, took notes, and he's like, "This is my idea for Wall Street." Yeah, pretty much. He, he saw him, and he's like, "Yes." This is going to be Gordon Gecko. Yeah, uh, I mean, fancy businessman with his suits and cigar box and fancy liquors and a pound of you don't see it in this, but like, I just imagine like the way he acts and mm. how he carries himself. He's got a pound of cocaine in the back and he's just like I'm ready to go and he and he and John Getz's character is so like like you say he's so stereotypical yeah, 80s smarmy bus- businessman. Smart like cuz he's like when you first get into, like, okay, he seems fine at first, and all of a sudden you're at Gia Davis's apartment, and he's taking a shower in there, yeah. and that's when you're fine. Like, she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I just, I feel, yeah, like, I have to clean myself. And, she, and then you find out, like, oh, they dated, and she's like, give me back the key to my apartment. And he's like, nah. He's definitely a bipolar character, because... By the end, he's not, like, douchebag. Right, I mean, like, he will have these normal moments, and then he'll have these crazy outbursts, like when he follows her to the department store where she's you know she's buying clothes and he just kind of like has a crazy outburst he's like oh, in the store like he's like oh yeah like oh, oh i followed you you were with seth you were lying to me this is cock's huge right yeah and it's like what or like he's talking to her like, no we can be friends and he's like by the way can we, can we have sex yeah. Not like for love. That or not when, for not for love, when, but just like just passionate, like to get her emotions out. He's he's telling her not to go back to Brundle and she's like, No, I have to go back and he says, Well, 
do I get to claim your body after? <laughs> it's like, wow, dude, this guy's like totally insensitive. But then, but then after that, he's like, oh, just a joke, you know, like, just, you know, kind of plays it off. And it's like, no, dude, you just said that you're, I'm going to die because I'm going back to Brundle. Like, and you, and not only that, but you want to claim my body that for, I don't know. Maybe he's a, maybe he uh, practices uh, some necrophilia there. I don't know. He, he, he's very smarmy. Yes. Very, totally. But at the end, total you, still, you still, you still got to feel a little bit sorry for him for having his, his arm and leg melted off by yeah. vomit yeah. drop. Yeah. Just the, I mean, just even thinking about it, that's pretty, that's pretty horrible. No, it is. It, no, it totally is. Gruesome. Vomit drop acid from the fly's mouth. He's, you know, he's playful. Oh yeah. As, as Jeff Gold, I call vomit drop. It's vomit drop. Playful. No, no, but he, no, he's he's. I, I, I do like John Getz's performance. Oh yeah, I think he, he's great. He, yeah, he's actually. he is terrific. But at the same time, it's kind of and it, like out of like because the film basically is just Jeff Goldblum, right. Jay Davis, and John. That's Getz. what I was gonna say. So, he, so like he like even though I think he does a very good job in the role as a smarmy asshole. That smarmy asshole, I think is. Even though I enjoy it, I think his it's kind of a detriment in the sense that it doesn't really make sense with how how the other two characters are. Mm-hmm. I I, th- I think it's a little some of his re, like I said, like his lines are a little too over the top. Yeah, it would have been it would have yeah. been fine with him being just your stereotypical jealous asshole boyfriend. Who's you know controlling, but then he like he says those like certain things that are like that are like, that are cringeworthy, like uh, like oh, can't claim your body. Oh, well, yeah. Can't. Some of those are really weird and just out there. Those phrases yeah. that he that he says sometimes, but but I do enjoy which I don't like, I don't like. I don't blame him. I blame that more on the writing. I, yeah. of just his character. That's weird. Yeah, it's, it is just a little weird. You know, uh, I, d- I do think that it's nice to have that foil, though. I think he is, for the most part, a foil to Brundle. And no, he definitely, he totally is. And like I said, I, I, he's the opposite. He's, he's a successful editor. He's, yeah, he's very cocksure and smarmy. But like I said, I think the like that. I'm totally fine with that. I think he does that well. I think the fact that just some of the things that he's given to be said is just it just doesn't fit it's yeah take it kind of it just takes you out just a little bit i'm not calling it a big flaw it's a it's a very minor nitpicky i'd consider what what i'm saying right now like it's being nitpicky yeah a little bit yeah uh what's your favorite (coughs) um gore effect in this um i i like all the I do like all the practical transformations for uh, for Goldblum. For Goldblum, yeah, it's pretty impressive to see some of it, like the just the full makeup. body, yeah, in, you know, full suit. body suits and, and the stuff makeup. Like That's uh, very good. Um, I cringe when I watch him snap the arm on the yeah on the bar guy, and that's just because when I was a kid, I broke my leg and literally snapped uh, both bones of my leg in half. So anytime I see something in a film that's got like involves 
breaking a bone like that, like a compound fracture, like I had like that bad. It's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, that was pretty like like oh that, yeah, that's that like, guy's arm's pretty fucked now. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna have to become a lefty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, I thought I thought all the effects in the film were very are very good. Though. Yeah, the way he just. Has you know with his venom, I you know looks like yeah, my favorite. Very good. And I even like when he's just like sitting there and he coughs it up. He's like, oh, that's disgusting. Oh uh, yeah, and that's my favorite part. I think is when is that whole sequence where he is sitting there, you know, just kind of discussing with Veronica the whole you know fly transformation. He's kind of taking it very well at that point. You know, he's kind of when just he like, fi- oh when yeah. When he, when he finds out that yeah. yeah he melted with a fly. Yeah, he's, he's kind of just like oh yeah, I'm just kind of. Melding with this fly, and he, he, you can almost see his his scientific like brain processing it and kind of finding it intriguing. Um, but I really do like that when he's sitting down and he grabs a donut and just kind of you know vomit drops all over it. He's like, and she just like is so disgusted with him, and he's like, oh yeah, I guess that is. You know, that's a great Jeff Goldblum moment. <laughs> but um, I, I love that, and I love uh, so that's a, like that's a humorous part. I yeah, mean, that's certainly played for laughs. And the other one is when his ear falls off. And he's just kind of like, oh "Oh, no. And she's like, your ear. And it's just kind of, again, that's played for laughs. You know, that, you know, he, his ears falling off. He's, he's creating a museum of, of what he used to be behind his, uh, bathroom mirror. It's, it's a, you know, Cronenberg finds the humor in this very gruesome, grisly tale. I almost think if somebody like, Seth Brundle would almost have to. Mm-hmm. Being a scientist... Yeah, what are you going to do? Being, yeah. Be, like, yeah, because you have Veronica... I mean, she... Obviously, Gina Davis should be concerned about her lover and, like, what's happening to him. She's like, we should go see somebody, but he knows, like, who the hell are we going to go see? <laughs> yeah, what are they going to do? He's even, he, like, he, he plugged it into like, his computer. Yeah, and, he's, and he try, he's trying to solve it himself, because who else is going to be able to solve it? But right. when she's like... Well, we should, you know, we should try to get help or like go to. The, and she, he's like, I'd rather k- kill myself than become some test subject for somebody. Yeah, and I, I think you get you get that very dark humor in the sense that like he knows like I better figure this out because if I don't, I'm fucked. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I think at, at some level he knows he realizes that you know that yeah, there is nothing that's going to stop the fly progression. I mean, unless he figures out how to recombinate his DNA again, there's no way that they some scientists be like, "Oh yeah, this is a simple case of yeah. separating fly and human DNA." You know, <laughs> no one is even thinking that at this point. So you know, no one is able to help. That that's just ridiculous. I do like at the end though how he comes up with a even more ridiculous solution by combining a, like people together. Not only now is he I think, combined I think, with I think, fly I and think, himself. I think that's more at the end because the fly is starting. It's kind of taking is more, over. Yeah, the, more yeah. and more. So I, because you see as he's progressing, like his thoughts becoming more and more frantic and scattered and fast, like a nature of a, when you see a fly flying yeah, around. Like, so that's what's happening. So yeah. I think with that, when he sees like his computer saying like, "Well, if you want to have a chance to be." To, mit- to, to, to mitigate the fly, you're going to have to keep combining with human DNA to, you know, lower and lower the fly DNA ratio. 
Yeah. I think that's more just like his scattered brain thinking at that point. Like, just like, I am just <laughs> throw in there and poof, you know? Yeah, I love that, though. I think that's... I think that's great to, for, you know, at the end, he's he's becoming convinced that, like, oh, yeah, we could all be, a, like, the perfect family together, yeah. just combined into one. Uh, yeah. It's great. And uh, I want to see what that looks like. But, uh, I, let's, we haven't really, we haven't talked about Jeff Goldblum specifically yet, so, how do you think he uh, ranks on the Goldblumian factor? Ten, place? and it's fantastic. Yeah, I would say. It's great. You know, we said Cats and Dogs was a ten, but this is a different sort of 10 I think the I, this might be the origin the origin of the Goldblum factor the Goldblumian factor I, I think I mean I, I know he had roles before this oh yeah yeah very like a lot but of never, smaller roles but he yeah. never had a major role and I think in the with the fly this is where you get his yeah and I think his quirk his quirky performance in this is is it really works well, and it. This is his, this his is kid. where this the, you know this is probably where he got this quirky sort of style that he carried through in in, in most of his other films. But here, it's like necessary. And they, it, they needed yeah. this type of of uh, acting for the film. And like I said, I, like just his personality and how, like I said, in the first fifteen minutes when you get to meet him and Gina Davis at the party and. When they go to his uh, apartment slash warehouse, just the way he acts is what would be considered now stereotypical gold blooming, but it works so well. Just him, just be like, oh yeah, well I got this, and uh, I don't know. And he gets to his apartment. And the first thing he does, G and Dave's like, wow, this is nice. He sits down at the piano and just starts playing bait, like you know, just, you know. <laughs> I love when she takes <laughs> off her. Um her stocking and he just kind of like oh, goes yeah, off yeah. curve on yeah, he's it. He's like, oh, yeah. Grabbing yeah, it. Yeah. Mm, mm, it's yeah. like, mm, great. It's just, yeah, it's go bloom at his finest. It's, I don't You can't really get much more than this. I mean, because, well, actually, the film gives him a lot of room to, to do two different things. You get his quirky nature, his very upbeat nature at the beginning of the film, and then you... you it's necessary because when he melds with the fly, there's that significant change in his persona. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that, he used to be very upbeat, very, very quirky and happy, but at that point he's kind of mellowed a little bit. Um, you know, he's, he, he has become stuck on himself mm-hmm. and there's that change and you definitely can see it once he, he, um, his, he combines his DNA with the fly. It's, and I think that's necessary. I mean, they had to have someone like that for this film, or else it just wouldn't work as well. Yeah, I had some like uh, I'm trying to think who would be like the stereo- who would be somebody they probably would have cast in. Who would they would have cast at in the fly? Yeah, at the time. Hmm, that's a good question. I don't really know, honestly. I don't know. It's a good question. Who would they have cast as? as if you th- I'm just trying to think of, of just 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 trying to think of like generic. Not, well, not te- g- generic, but I mean just actors in general from that time period. I, there's nobody that I w- could really see playing pulling that off. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't see like a, like Sam Neill. No. Doing it. No. Or uh, 
I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, I'm, I'm, it's a good question. It's a good question. Well, you, you're more horror than me, so. Who are some horror act, big horror actors at the time? Well, that's the thing, though, is that they, there was, it's not like they had a set person who would star in films all the time. A lot of them wouldn't have, you know, main stars. It would, they were just actors who happened to, to get the part for it, especially if they were lower budget. I don't, uh, I don't really know who else they would have gotten for it. I'm not really sure who you're thinking of. Just imagine, like, a young Tom Hanks. No, Tom Hanks is the Brundle? I don't see it. Coming off of, like, big. <laughs> and bosom buddies. Yeah, I don't see that. I don't Dust, see Tom Hanks. Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> young Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Tom Cruise. No. I mean, I guess I could see Tom Cruise. Well, a modern-day Tom Cruise, yeah. you know, all Scientology. I guess up. I could see Tom Cruise with that, yeah. Wouldn't be anywhere near as entertaining. Mm. All right, so you gave you gave Goldblum a 10 on the Goldblumian factor for this film, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I would agree. I'd say a 10 as well. But do you do you think that it's a different kind of 10 from Cats and Dogs? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I think Cats and Dogs has played the parody. Yeah. I think... He, I think, yeah, I think and that, that Cats and Dogs is actually, like, working on this character, really. Because he's also a scientist. A scientist, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like taking... Like, please play Seth Brundle from The Fly, except for make it, like, really yeah. jokey. Like, really, you know, satirical. So I think it is a different kind of 10. And I think... And, like, when... You know, a lot of people, when they talk about Jeff Goldblum, they're kind of, like, making fun of his quirky antics, you know? Which I don't get. Why? Right, exactly. But here, in The Fly, it's perfect. There's no reason to make fun of it in The Fly, because it's it's really good. I mean, I think he does a great job with Seth Brundle t- as a character. Very likable. Yeah. Very like I said, like, there's only three characters in this film. Jeff Goldblum's great. You like him. Gene Davis is great. You yeah. like her. Yeah. And then John Getz is that asshole that you don't like. Right. So, and I think they all do a great job. And I think and that's why I, that's why I said like who like if they didn't get Goldblum to do this, I can't really see somebody pulling off the role any right anywhere near as well or making he's, the he's great. He's great because it wouldn't work if Jeff Goldblum was playing. Uh, no, not not necessarily Jeff Goldblum. Even if it was Jeff Goldblum. Or a different actor it wouldn't work as so well. If Seth Brundle's already kind of like a more like cocksure, and, yeah, uh, more full of himself type of. Well, not even necessarily full of himself, but just was more you see that shyness. Was, was more uh, extrovert. I mm-hmm. think the fact that he plays that introvert so well, of just being shy and not really knowing. Awkward on his and awkward. Yeah. That's what makes it work so well. Yeah, and you get to see that transformation when him and Gina Davis become a thing, and you know start to develop a relationship. You see, even before he transforms into the fly, that he's becoming more and more, you know, like outgoing. Like when she suggests, like, "Hey, we should go to you know Florida, like an old you know like an old married couple." And he's yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah. That'd be, oh, that would be nice. Yeah. 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 
Have you seen the sequel? No. I haven't either, I don't think. I don't think I've ever seen the sequel. It wasn't done by David Cronenberg. I don't think it's, I don't no, think it's, it's nearly as good. There's the sequel, and then they also have a, uh, a Fly comic book as well. Hmm? Yeah, that, that works off of, I think, the sequel. I think it works off of Fly 2. Um, so what would you give the Fly on a scale of 1 to 10 Flies? Not a 1 out of 10 Brundle Flies? Brundle Flies, sure. Brundle Babies. Brundle baby flies. I'd give it a nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Brundle baby flies. I, I like. The I would. Fly. I would as well. I. I think I would say nine out of ten. It's a very good film. Very very good film. If you haven't seen this this film, this definitely. This to me that. is is what's been known on the, the podcast. I'm not like the biggest horror fan because I think a lot of it, a lot of horror film. I mean, granted, a lot of genres are full of bullshit, but I think horror film gets kind of pegged with a lot of. More more bullshit. Yeah, I think the fly is like the perfect encapsulation of what a horror film should be. Mm-hmm. It paces itself perfectly. They don't just give things away. And this film's not necessarily. It's not even scary. No. It, but I think the tension it builds and the careful detail that it builds each and like everything has a purpose. Everything is planned and well thought out. And you have likable characters too, not like if it's like you're watching like a, a typical slasher film, like we make these people unlikable so when <laughs> they get killed, you're like, Yeah Yeah. I, like this is what would you know, films like this are like the horror films that I like that are well thought out. Yep. That have likable characters that are not not because it's slow, but it's paced well enough and doesn't reveal everything to you. It wants to build to a crescendo and not just blow its load with, you know, like, ah, type of scares and stuff. Absolutely. I agree. That was well said as well. Thank you. Very well said. I'm, you know, an orator. Yes. I would give it a 9 out of 10 as well. It's, it's, like I said, it's one of my favorites of Cronenberg's uh, films, and uh, certainly a very good horror film as well, even though, yeah, you're right, it, it could be considered more of a thriller, more of a science fiction film as well. Um, it's all of those, and it does it does them it does all them all well. well, very well. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's a it's a nice nice surprise. Um, take it's taking that like fifties like science gone wrong horse and oh yeah, and then like because the eighties was amplifying big, it. Yeah, the eighties is big on you know taking things from the fifties, just like the nineties was with the sixties, you know, and just making it you know modern for that time. And I think it I think it works very well. That, and I think this one's done so well. I would never like. I would not want them to do like another remake for, like the like, you know, the Fly today starring fucking uh, Justin Long as the scientist. And, yeah. <laughs> I know. I love the Brenda Fly. I love the name Brenda Fly. All right, we're gonna wrap up this uh, uh, podcast episode of the Blood and Black Rum podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to our Jeff Goldblum month, which uh, is officially over, although we may be coming back for one more episode of the Goldblum month. Don't want to give all the Goldblum films away, because then how Yeah, gonna, you don't want to do them all. How, how are we going to do it next year? How are we going to do Jeff Goldblum month two, the, the Goldblumaloo? <laughs> <laughs> Something well, like that. What is it, like... <laughs> electric boogaloo yeah the electric gold bloomaloo something like that 
we'll iron out the details next year. We've been doing this for a year now. It's kind of exciting. So, um, thank you for listening to uh, our our podcast. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our Jeff Goldblum month. We want to say thank you to Jeff Goldblum, who has been a good sport and hasn't had us take any of these episodes down or anything like that. Um, I would laugh if one of the listeners was from him. Yeah. He's like... (laughs) Or if he was like, I don't agree. I don't agree. I think he would like. I think he would agree. I, I, I think, think he would like us praising him and cats and dogs. I certainly he, do. He'd probably be like, at least, least that at is least. one of my most underrated roles. Yeah, at least somebody liked it. Um, so uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a nice review. That way, you know we're getting shared with everybody that would like to listen to us. Uh, our, we post on SoundCloud first up. That's where we. That's where our feed comes from. So you can uh, sign up to uh, uh, listen to us and favorite us on uh, SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Blood Black Rum Podcast. Um, you can catch us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Blood Black Rum Podcast. Uh, we're up there. I post on that. Um, you can always uh, get our updates on there. I'm also on Twitter at Ryan, R-Y-N-E-T-M-I-A-D-W. I post for both me and Martin, so if you have anything to say to him, you can say it on there, and I will give him the message, certainly. Um, we're also up on all the regular podcast sites like Stitcher, uh, Acast, anything like that that you normally listen to your podcast on, you can get us on there, so make sure that you subscribe. And also send us an email at... Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. We're always open to new suggestions for films, especially now that we're ending our Jeff Goldblum month. Uh, we're going to be at a loss for things to review, I think. <laughs> Just kidding about the that. Well, the well has run dry. That's right. But uh, we're, we're certainly open to new suggestions, so let us know at the email. Uh, thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and uh, give us a nice review. And we will see you next time uh, for... A special episode that we we haven't yet planned. It'll either be Suicide Squad or the secret Jeff Goldblum movie that we're not releasing yet. So, tune in.